Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. So there's always going to be contradictions. I mean, we flew here on a plane. I'm very aware of that contradiction. (laughs) But I think it's doing the best you can and it's a transition process. It's not like everyone's going to live sustainably tomorrow. It's like, it's steps. Yeah. Hey there, thanks for listening in. You will have noticed that I've had a bit of a break from recording and releasing episodes, which has been awesome. And I will be releasing some over the coming weeks and months. They'll probably be a little less regular than I was doing them previously, but I'm looking forward to getting some new episodes out and having some excellent conversations with people. In this episode, I'm talking to Jordan Osman. Jordan is a documentary maker, and he started this accidentally. He spent some time working and being on an intentional community for a year and was invited to shoot a documentary of the process that the people were going through of living on that community. And then he's extended this now to a second feature documentary where he, well, he's found a whole lot of people in New Zealand who are starting to live the change that is necessary if we're going to sustain life on this planet. And it's interesting to note or well, hear about all the things that they're up to, but also to to see that the things that they're up to aren't, while they might seem to be compromises and sacrifices, they're actually bringing new life and new connection and new vitality to the people that are living this way. I like how he taps into the small things that we can all do to start to make these kind of changes in our life as well. So, yeah, I'm Adam Murray. Thanks for listening in again, and I hope you enjoy listening to Jordan Osmond about the subtle disruption through living our part of the change. Good to be chatting with you, Jordan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Where are we chatting today and why are we chatting here? We're chatting here because this is the Airbnb we're staying at. For the um, We were in New Zealand yesterday and flew to Australia for the Melbourne screening of our new film, Living the Change, yep. and uh, we're at this lovely Airbnb in Collingwood here. Yeah. Beautiful sunny day. Yeah, it is a beautiful sunny day. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect Melbourne day. It is, yeah. 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 And so the screening is in Melbourne tomorrow night? It is, yep. The uh, Australian premiere at Cinema Nova. Yeah. Um, hoping to have a sellout screening. We've, um, this, is, this will be our fourth screening, and uh, we sold out the last one in Wellington and have just had incredible feedback. So I'm really looking forward to bringing it home to Australia, which is where I'm from. Yeah. You're from, which city are you from? Ballarat, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I love Melbourne. It's yeah. a fantastic city. Yeah. So I think... Casting my mind back a little bit, we came in contact because of the Samuel Alexander interview. Yeah. And um, you listened to that and you'd done a collaboration with him, is that right? Mm. Yeah, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, so I met Sam at the end of 2014. I was getting into wanting to make my first documentary. Um, previous to that, I got really into watching documentaries and just loved the impact that I, I noticed they were having on me. Yeah. Like I would watch, say, Food Inc., and then, which talks about the farming system in the U.S. in particular. But then I would 
incorporate that learning and that new knowledge into my own life. And I'm like, wow, documentaries are really powerful. So then I wanted to make them myself and um, just taught myself how to do that, like watching YouTube videos, really. I bought a a cheap DSLR camera and um, just read books and watched videos about how to use it and how to make a documentary. And so I was at this point where I was ready to, all right, I want to make a documentary that helps contribute to a more sustainable world. I wanted to use it as a medium for for change because I was vaguely aware of some of the, the issues like, you know, the rainforest is getting cut down, we're facing climate change. And so I wanted to to help be a part of the solution uh, through through documentaries. And um, so I came across this blog post that uh, Sam Alexander had written about this project that was happening out in Gippsland. He was um, working with the landowner there to get some natural builds going on the property and mm-hmm. eventually develop in, it into a community. So I saw that there was a build coming up and I was like, oh, that'd be an interesting thing to film. And yeah. so... Um, yeah, I connected with Sam and went out and filmed and it was a great week-long workshop. It was amazing. It was kind of like my first experience into this whole world of, I guess, permacultural sustainability and it was, it had quite an impact on me of just like the community and the people that showed up to that it was really heartwarming and um, yeah. I was like, man, I, I feel like I found my people. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. And so, and then out of that, the idea, Sam came to me and he's like, what if we do a a year-long project where we get 10 people out on the land and film a feature-length documentary. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And um, we cobbled that together in a couple of months and at the beginning of 2015, um, nine strangers, 10 including me, moved on to that 20-acre property in Gippsland and uh, figured out how to live in community together. And the idea was to kind of, kind of demonstrate what a one-world footprint would look like. Like if we consume the resources that one planet can provide, how would that look in terms of how we live? Yeah. And so we were growing our own food, some of our own food, sourcing other things locally, building tiny homes and exploring yeah, the dynamics of living in community, which was the most challenging part. Yeah. Um, but out of that year long um, experiment came my first documentary A Simpler Way Crisis is Opportunity which is free up on YouTube and uh, it's on nearly a million views now yeah Yeah, I have watched that as well yeah I loved it that just reflecting on your journey then as well like you said like it was a bit of a hunch to kind of get into film in a way like it sounded like you you slowly got into it and then another little hunch around there's some stuff happening with the planet, which I think sounds not too great, but I'm not that familiar with it. And and then to living on a community for 12 months sounds, sounds like quite a transition. Was it was it literally like that or was there a bit more in between there? It was pretty much like jumping in the deep end, really. Yeah, and right. I'm really grateful for the opportunity that Sam gave me. I mean, he took a huge... Uh, he put a lot of faith in my ability because I didn't have a, any... any kind of work to show that, you know, I'm an experienced documentary maker because I wasn't. It yeah. was like, I guess maybe he, well, we connected as, as friends and maybe he just, yeah, had, had this faith in me that we'd be able to pull it off together and, um, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that he, he had that faith. And, um, yeah, it was very much just figuring it out as I went and I think that's kind of turned out to be that's how I operate. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, I find that learning by doing and also the the experience of living there and making this film was a huge personal journey for me 
learning more about the issues we're facing and getting a deeper understanding of that and also of the solutions. Like my knowledge over that period increased drastically. And I mean, I moved out of my parents' house to go live there. I lived in my panel van for the first few months, then it got too cold, so then got a caravan. Yeah. But like it was this huge kind of point in my life of uh, stepping into this whole whole thing and it's been carrying on ever since the last three years have just been yeah. more short films and now Living the Change the second feature documentary yeah I'm interested uh, like I imagine living in that community for 12 months there's not a whole lot of the standard distractions is one way of putting it or uh, entertainment options that you kind of live, have living in a city like this what did you spend how did you use that time differently that you might have used here how are you using that on the Mm. like in the community yeah i think it was for for some of us it was quite a transition and for others people were more on that path already but i guess in terms of keeping yourself busy it's when, when you're not when you're trying to buy as little as possible and do as much as you can yourself Mm. that takes up a lot more time and Mm. so i mean we didn't have a tv there and i still don't have a tv like watch Netflix and stuff but it's like when you're making your own bread or you're growing your own food it's like a lot of time goes into that and so there's there's not a whole lot of other time for um, or like the important things you make time for and so but one of the things was being out in rural Gippsland it was quite isolating like Mm. we had each other but spending all your time with the same people that you are just meeting was pretty intense and so it was fantastic to have the, the train line running into Melbourne that we could come in and hang out with friends and yeah. have that connection. But um, there was always something to do out there because it was so basic when we got there. Not everyone even had a house to live in yet. We didn't have a community kitchen. It was kind of like the back of a shed where we had a two-element electric hot plate <laughs> and um, a couple of buckets for washing dishes for 10 of us. Yeah. And um, we ended up creating this amazing retrofit of a, of a shed into this beautiful kitchen. Um, but it was just like so many of the... A lot of things kept us busy of needing to provide everyone with your know, shelter and everyone make sure people are comfortable and mm. figure out how to make decisions together and yeah. the whole community dynamic thing used up a lot of um, energy and, and thinking as well because I, I constantly meet people who say the same thing is that community is the hardest aspect of all this. Like anyone can grow some veggies, but it's like getting people to work together is it's quite a challenging thing and mm. I think it's because where we're at in society our society we've kind of we're, we're on the on the path of you know individuality mm. and with the economy promoting that you know you, you pay for all your services you know you um, it's promoting isolation rather than community and so we've drifted away from that traditional close ties with family friends neighbors and we've kind of lost the art of living in community. And so yeah. learning this again, or trying to learn it again, was a real beneficial learning experience, but was also incredibly challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, I recently did the, the facilitation course uh, put on by the Group Work Institute. Do you know the Group Work Institute? No, I don't. So they, they came out of uh, Common Ground, Okay. Yeah, you know, the intentional community. Mm. I've never been there, but I believe it's in the northeast mm. of Melbourne, northeast of Melbourne anyway. And I think that the Group Work Institute 
came out as as a result of that exact thing that you're talking about there. Like the challenge that they were finding was how do we live together in community and these skills are being lost. And so they were learning by doing and they developed these, I guess, techniques and they learned these techniques and, and frameworks and ways of doing things and they worked out that these things actually could be taught as a skill to other people and used in a whole variety of situations. And um, they actually offer a facilitation diploma now as well. It's come out of uh, the stuff they're doing, amongst other things, I'm sure, as well. But, yeah, it's. uh, I think you're spot on, yeah. Mm. One of the most um, beneficial things that we probably should have done at the beginning of the year was we had a couple of professional, or they were trained to be facilitators. Um, They were studying a course in facilitation and yeah. they needed a, a practical example of um, implementing what they've been learning and so we put our hand up it's like yep we could use some help yeah. um, and so we had these um, these two women come out who were incredible and they it was it was really interesting to see how by just having a couple of people from the outside helping that dialogue flow mm-hmm. stuff came out that would didn't come out before because the space was created for it and yeah. I guess that's the job of a good facilitator is to facilitate the uh, this open dialogue and I think that was a great way to kind of round out the year-long experiment was a reflection and also bringing up some things that people found difficult and um, kind of summarizing the experience but it was it was hugely beneficial yeah and so what what were your main reflections out of that year-long experiment and how did that change the way you live? Mm. I think um, I think that year-long experiment for me it really, like jumping in the deep end on this whole thing I feel really fortunate that I was able to do that like I feel like I would have got to that place of understanding eventually but having that immersion in it really was valuable and I think it um, it really helped me understand the the urgency around the issues we're facing and also the, the necessary steps that we, we need to take collectively to get through the next uh, potentially rocky period. Yeah. Um, it's not as simple as everyone having solar panels and things carrying on as normal. I think kind of the, the greenwashing of a lot of these things is wanting to continue things how they are. And while... Things like that are important. Renewable energy is definitely part of the solution. It's a much deeper transition I feel we need to go through. It's more about how we relate to the natural world Hmm. rather than continuing on this separate human path of growth and kind of, I don't know, creating a a future where we have infinite lifespans and we are separate from nature, we'll go to other planets. You know, it's, I think it's, it really made clear the disconnection that we are immersed in at the moment yeah. and the need to return to that, to mm. prosper into, into the future and be resilient into what we're going to be facing because climate change, while we can do so much to limit the worst of climate change, there is some climate change locked in. It's happening already yeah. and we are feeling the effects of emissions 40 years ago. So it's like, okay, how do we live good lives? How do we live fulfilling lives for everyone going into this rocky future. And I think also out of that year, it's not just like, well, we're facing these scary issues. It's also, this is an incredible way to live. Like this Mm. was a new experience for me. Mm. I had a very kind of normal childhood, I guess. Um, 
my parents weren't hippies or anything, and and this this way of living isn't a hippie thing. I mean, some people might point that out, but、uh, I don't think it is at all. But I think it's one of the things that came to me was that how how satisfying it was having that connection with community、mm. is something that was new to me. Relying on each other's skills to meet each other's needs, working together, and the satisfaction that comes with doing things yourself. <laughs> Not buying everything. There's,、yeah. there's a different level of satisfaction from making your own bread than buying it at the store. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, when we're going into this future of hardship and deprivation and struggle. I think if we act now, we can create a, a better future, one that's more satisfying and addresses a lot of the, the issues that we're facing. Yeah. Did you? So some great. Learnings that came out of that year for you. How did you go transitioning back, or yeah, you know, what was what did the decks? I guess we're getting to the point where you're creating the film, but、mm. you know what changed for you as you came back, or what was challenging for you as you came back.、Mm. I think in terms of how I was living then, the following year, going to New Zealand and doing this project that we called Living the Change, which was initially a series of short films. And that was it. We weren't making feature documentary at that time. It、yeah. was just short, short films. One thing that was clear to me was how, or during that year, I put out a few short films about what we were doing there, and people loved it. They were it got huge attention and huge enthusiasm, and so we wanted to continue that. At that community, I met my partner Antoinette,、yeah. and、um, and she came on at the end of the year to help write the film as well. So、cool. then、um, we continued on doing these short films. But one thing that's, I guess. It, I've kind of pulled back from that extreme of that year-long experiment, and have kind of. It's it's hard to live. It's always hard to live fully to your ethics. I mean, if if you tried, you probably would die in the current situation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a whole system that does not support it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially、um, if you don't own land or you don't have access to land, and you're, you're traveling, it's like. Even more difficult to live by your ethics, but I think yeah, the, the extreme that was quite an extreme year, jumping the deep end, doing、yeah. that experiment, and since then we've kind of pulled back and also expand expanded into other areas of life, like trying to reduce the amount of waste we create,、mm-hmm. and you know trying to buy as much organic food as possible,、um, and kind of it was almost like that community was in this kind of it was like a little bubble experiment, and then coming back into the Into reality, almost, or like、um, back into the normal world,、yeah. and then having this conflicts with trying to live the learnings from that year in the context of the world we live in. Yeah. So there's always going to be contradictions. I mean, we flew here on a plane. I'm very aware of that contradiction. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's doing the best you can, and it's a transition process. It's not like everyone's going to live sustainably tomorrow. It's like it's steps. Yeah. yeah, and each each year since that experiment, I've grown deeper into that、mm. that transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the people that I've interviewed recently talk about.、Uh, I interviewed Megan Patrick. In、uh, do you know Megan Patrick? I was listening to that podcast episode、yeah. on the plane. Yeah, and yeah. We're actually going to be filming with them. Are you? Yep, yeah, awesome. Yeah,、They、yeah, cool.、Amazing. Yeah,、oh, that's great. They,、um, I mean, one of the interesting things they talked about. Is how their journey kind of started for them, and one of the things they did was just take out bin liners from their bins, like take out the plastic, yep. Yep. and 
because I thought, well, we, you know, we're composting everything. And then that, how that just led from one thing to another to, you know, getting rid of their cars, which was a big, big game changer for them, mm. the money that that saved them, and then getting them involved, getting them moving through bikes and walking rather than passively through cars, mm. and how that led to them, I guess, meeting a whole lot more people and then travelling for a year on a bike as well. And so I think it's, I think what I'm getting from what you're saying is, you know, small steps can build in a positive feedback loop as well. And uh, they can, you know, sometimes it, sometimes it's good to immerse ourselves in particular situations, but it's not always it's practical or feasible. Yeah. And to do it in an incremental small way can have a, I guess, a, overall a much bigger and longer lasting impact. Mm. I think it's going to be the only way to do it. With the, I guess, with the extent of the changes that are required, you, no one can suddenly jump into living sustainably. Yeah. It is a transition process, and I think it is a continual le- journey of learning and kind of thinking consciously about how you're living, like the bin liner thing. If you've had bin liners all your life, why would you suddenly question, why am I putting this liner in the bin? It's like becoming more aware of what you're, you're doing and then making changes based on that, yeah. I think is, is the only way that this change is going to happen and is happening. And that's one of our goals with the film Living the Change was to get a broad example of people with mm. solutions um, and hoping the audience will connect to one or two or a couple of them and say, like, maybe I could do that yeah. in my life. Maybe I don't have access to land so I can't grow a food forest, but maybe I can reduce the amount of plastic that I'm buying. And that's the first step for that person. And by empowering people, not deceiving them, I feel like this is people have so much power hmm. to affect change that you don't even realize. And yeah. so by making these small changes, that leads to more changes and has a collectively bigger effect. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about some of the, well, the making of the film and the, some of the people that you did interview as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for the last two years, we've been traveling around New Zealand finding different inspiring, inspiring examples of people who are making change in their lives to living more sustainably and being more resilient. Yeah. We wanted to get a diverse range of people doing, creating this change. So we've got, we, we touch on the, f- the food system, waste minimization, living simply, and also the personal transition. There are a few stories in there of people. Um, there's one in particular, our friend Andrew, who used to work in finance in Sydney, realised that that life wasn't satisfying and realised some of the issues around peak oil and is now growing a food forest in New Zealand. Yeah, right. So this beautiful three-acre food yeah. forest. Yeah. And so this collection of stories, we've, uh, we've included a bunch of interviews with people like I'm not sure if you're familiar with Charles Eisenstein. No. He's an incredible author. He's my favourite author. Um, yeah. He's written two books in particular. That um, One's called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. And so we have his, in his interview, he speaks to the big picture transition um, that we're collectively taking and frames it in terms of the old story and the new story. Yeah. So we're coming from the old story in the space between the two, heading into the new story and what, what could that look like. And so... Bunch of interviews, um, but the focus was solutions. We didn't want this to be another documentary that was despairing and focusing on the issues. There are enough of those. While you, it's definitely important to know the issues, 
if you just leave people hanging at the end of the film that, you know, the world's doomed, it's like nothing's going to happen. No yeah. one's going to change based on fear. Yeah. Um, and so we spend probably 20 minutes in the film talking to the issues and then the rest is solutions yeah. um, over those range of, of topics. Yeah. And, I mean, is there a... Obviously, New Zealand's close to Australia, so maybe it was a proximity issue, but is there a reason why you focused on New Zealand as well? So during the, the year that I was filming A Simpler Way, we did a bit of a trip up to northern New South Wales and visited some communities that were happening there, and we, we liked that idea of, of that, the road trip. We, and through filming these people, also learning ourselves, and mm. Antoinette, my partner, is from New Zealand, and so she had a bunch of connections there of people doing cool stuff yeah. and I'd never been outside of Australia before and yeah. I thought that would be a, a fun project. It was initially meant to be three months of filming. We were just going <laughs> to go there, buy a van, three months later have this series of films but it ended up being two years. Yeah, <laughs> Things always take longer than you expect. Yeah, totally. And the, um, it evolved. Like In the beginning we didn't plan to do a feature documentary but we were just meeting so many people that had valuable things to say that we couldn't just make a short film about. And yeah. so we thought by putting them amongst other people saying all this stuff that we could create a cohesive story that, um, that, pro that provided hope, which is the, the idea with all the films that we do is inspiration and, and hope, but yeah. also being honest about the issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, well, maybe it would be good to get your summary of what, those issues are, what, came, what comes out through the film, you know, what those issues are, and then I'll ask you a follow-up question to that yeah. as well. Yeah. I think, I think the, um, the issues go very deep um, in terms of how we view the natural world and our relationship to it. I think the general human view is that we're the special creature. We're not animals anymore but we are. We're, we're, we're an animal and we're amongst other animals and other plants and other, this living organism that we've kind of separated ourselves from because we have this you know, amazing ability to, of thought and, and everything. Yeah. But it's kind of at the expense of the life of everything else. Um, and so that's kind of the, the deepness I feel that it goes. But yeah. a lot of it comes down to consumption, the choices that we make when we live our everyday lives, like where we buy our food, where we source our energy, the waste we cre create. It might seem like I'm just throwing away one bottle, but it's like if everyone thinks like that, then that's how you have 30 million bottles a day in landfill or whatever the figure is. And I think consumption levels as well, like how much we're consuming. Those of us in the first world, like Australia, New Zealand, US consume the majority of the resources and also create the majority of the pollution and are the biggest contributor to these issues. And so we need to, I think, consciously assess what is a good life? What do I need to be happy? Mm. What do I need to meet my needs? And, and consciously look at that and not just fall into this dominant story of like, I need to buy this, this, this to live a good life or I need to do certain things to, to fit in with the way the general society is heading because I think the direction we're heading on, that's, that's gonna, it's going to become obvious that we can't go in that direction anymore. There's, there are limits to economic growth and we're reaching them now. And so 
for people who are thinking about this stuff now, I think are ahead of the curve. Like we meet so many people who understand these issues and are making change and are creating the future that they want to see and also creating the templates. They're experimenting now, they're creating the solutions for when things get rough that the people who don't get it now can can come into. Yeah. Can have ideas and I think I'm I'm just yeah incredibly inspired by everyone we meet really. It's really encouraging to see this this shift that I think I'm hesitant to use the term revolution but I feel like there's this there's this general buzz that where the world is at the moment isn't in a good place and you don't have to be a hippie to understand that. Yeah. I think it's a general thing you just talk to anyone and yeah. it's like there's some there's co- some collective like thinking like oh maybe the stories our society's been telling ourselves over the last 100 years mm. aren't applicable anymore and we need new stories. Mm. Yeah. That idea of being separate from nature. I guess it's something that Patrick touched on a bit in his uh, Promethean mm. myth story. But yeah, it's something that came out to me in the book Sapiens and the book Homo Deus as oh, well. Yeah, Probably more. You've read both of those? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so good. It's, uh, it's like compelling the way it's, it's like an urgency as I read that book. It's like he, he really uh, writes it in such a way that it's quite gripping. Mm. But yeah, the Sapiens in particular, I guess that's the story of humans evolving from the animal, animal kingdom, I guess becoming uh, the top of the food chain in mm. a way but then kind of separating ourselves as well. And uh, I guess, in a way, that got me thinking about myself as a species rather than the species. And um, it was interesting in his book Homo Deus how he talked about this is one way that things could go and I'm painting this picture so that we can think about it Mm. and potentially change it as well. Yeah. And maybe maybe harness it in a way too. And that was quite a that was that narrative was kind of about humans becoming evolving to a new species in a way, the Homo Deus species, mm. and what that might mean for the species that doesn't evolve and uh, the, the members of the species that doesn't evolve, and what it might mean for the planet. Yeah, but I'm interested to in that idea about you know you're saying we need to, or part of the solution is to see ourselves as part of an ecosystem, I suppose, a member in an ecosystem rather than separating ourselves from the ecosystem. Is that something you noticed in all the people that you talked with? I think a lot of people are understanding that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, That's one of the, I guess, probably maybe the biggest thing I realised during that year-long experiment was that I'm a part of nature. It was kind of like a light bulb went off in my head. I'd never thought about it before. Yeah. And it was at this one point where it's like, wow, nature's not this separate thing that exists out there or in the backdrop of human activity. It's like, I'm immersed in it. I, we are nature. Yeah. But we've created this world that it's kind of like a human, separate human realm that we're living in. And it's, of course, people would think that nature's something different than them if if they live in this environment that doesn't reflect that relationship. And I think so many people that we meet are understanding that. I feel along with that general sense of the world isn't heading on a good track, there's a sense of 
what what is the track we, we want to be on mm. and people coming to that realization of being amongst other species and being na- a part of nature and on the the point of homo deus it was really interesting that book that he painted this picture of, of, of the direction we're heading and i felt like that was so valuable because it's like where are we heading like i look at the current when i think about if things carried on as normal without any resource limits or anything like where would we end up and i i don't know if you've seen the film wally yeah yeah it's like are we going to end up as those obese people in chairs and just <laughs> drink uh, from the from the cups with our vr screens on and yeah. yeah it's like yeah and with virtual reality it's like are we just going to live in this virtual world where we have i don't know hooked up to a machine that keeps us alive it's like that seems like where technology's heading it's like why is that a good life and it's kind of like you you hear about the problems now about you know the suicide rates the rates of mental illness and disconnection and it's like is more technology going to fix that yeah it's like we've created this technology that's creating these issues but we need to create more technology to solve the issues mm. but every time this new technology comes in more issues are created and then it's just kind of a never ending cycle yeah so i think it's it's not going back in time to living in caves it's learning how humans have existed for 99.999% of their existence and coming back home to our place in the world yeah and this idea that we're going to go to mars and set up some colony there i think is ridiculous it's like why would you want to go live on a a desert essentially like no one lives in the middle of a a a, a desert in the middle of Sahara desert do they i don't think so or maybe some tribes do but it's like we're not living there now why would you want to create that on another planet and then even thinking that you can do that it's a rejection of the fact that we have this ecological foundation of civilization it's like we don't need nature we're the separate thing and we can support ourselves without the need of that where it's like we're entirely dependent on it yeah and i love the quote that goes along the lines of despite all of our great achievements and innovations it's all down to the fact that the fact that it rains and there's an inch of topsoil <laughs> yes it's quite humbling isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it is <laughs> oh god it seems so fragile when you put it that way and i guess it is quite fragile yeah yeah yep. especially when topsoil will de- be depleted in 60 years you hear that figure and it's like wow yeah we need to regenerate yeah. and that's another thing is the the point about not just being sustainable but regenerating it's like let's not just get to a point where we're creating as much bad as we are good mm. because i don't think that's going to be enough we need to actually heal the damage that has been done in order to be sustainable yeah. we need we need regenerative farming systems and regenerative ways of living that give back more than we take yeah because we've been mm. humanity's been eating from the the savings account yeah. of the earth and it's about to hit bottom in in the future so we need to add back to that yeah natural world we yeah. need to we need to give more than we take yeah for me that's uh that's one of the hallmarks of a, a good organization is that it's a net contributor to the system that it exists within mm. um and i guess uh incentives aren't really structured that way at the moment but that's 
it's one of the things that's on my mind. It's one of the things that I guess one of the things I'm working on getting better at is shaping and creating organizations. I'm calling it organization as art. Oh. So, you know, an organization that is a statement in itself mm. um, is beautiful. So it's beautiful in how it's structured, in the environment it operates in, in what it puts back into the world, that the people who work there are actually better off for working there. Like it's not, they don't have to compensate for being in that organisation. But there's a few other things that I'm trying to think about. But, yeah, one of them is that idea that, yeah, it's actually adding value. Replenishing is a good way to put it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you all the best of luck with that. Yeah. That's that's the mentality of all organisations that... We, that we need to have, I think, is is that is a place of work that is supportive of the people who work there, and is a reflection of what you believe in as yeah, well. Yeah. And I wish you good luck because the current system that we're immersed in is it, it would be very difficult to to do that in its current state because it promotes things like competition and growth and. Mm. It's it's not the easiest thing to do a lot of these solutions, and that's why it's a, a transition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, once again, it's going to be incremental steps for me. It's not something that I'm going to nail first shot. That's for sure. But, yeah, and that's like yeah. so many of the things. Like everyone we meet, no one has the answers. Yeah, and I don't think anyone is living sustainably that I've met. Yeah, it's a process of of transition, as we're saying, and no nobody has the golden solution of like, here's the direction we're heading. This is the answer. Even though maybe some people have that approach, I don't think it's accurate because no one knows what the future holds. Yeah. And I think that's one of the exciting things about it as well is like, you know, we've got this kind of canvas that we can throw some paint at and see see what we create yeah. as well while we're, while we're doing this. Yeah. 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 What are some of the... In, a, in an immediate sense or a really practical sense right now, what were, say, two or three of the things that inspired you most about the people, some of the real practical solutions and the people that were implemented by the people that you met? In terms of practical solutions, I think, I mean, we're inspired by everyone because we wouldn't have yeah. put them in the film if we yeah. weren't. But in particular for me, uh, I loved the 23-year-old food forest that we visited at the bottom of the South Island, which is actually below the latitude of Tasmania. So yeah. they're in this pretty cold climate. And they were growing this food forest. For, so for people who don't know what that is, it's a, a permanent planting where you mix um, fruit trees, native trees, shrubs, root crops all together into an integrated system to, to mimic a forest, to mimic an ecosystem. And so you invite birds and animals in, and insects into the system instead of trying to get everything out so you can grow your one field of corn. It's like, what can I invite in to create this mm. ecosystem which handles itself, which reduces the amount of work? So the birds, when you invite birds in, they eat the insects that are eating the food that you want to eat. And plants give back minerals that into the soil, which is taken up by some other plant. So you're mimicking this ecosystem. Yeah. And just walking around this one that was 23 years old, it was the oldest that I've visited, it was, it was amazing that two people could create this legacy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They're, um, they've been on, the, on that land for yeah, 23, wow. 25 years, I think. And um, they've, they've grown with it as well, like... It's a constant process of, of learning and it's hard work in the beginning because you've got to plant the trees. But then 
it gets less and less work each year. And I think yeah. they, they don't do much out there these days. Yeah. And for me, I love that idea of, um, of, of giving back something to the world during my lifetime, of, of planting this forest that will outlive me mm. and that not just future generations of humans can harvest from, but future every species could be a part of. Yeah. And that can live on without without me being on the planet anymore. So I hope to create a food forest during my lifetime. Yeah, great. Um, so that was personally one of the most inspiring for me. Um, another interesting one was a regenerative agriculture farm in, um, in Hawke's Bay, which is quite a dry region and it's intensive, uh, a lot of farms there. And Greg is his name and at his, um, their family farm, they're, they're practicing a holistic grazing of the cattle and other animals that incorporate pigs and chickens into this um, system which actually sequesters carbon from the atmosphere through building soil mm. and isn't like conventional farming where they eat the cows eat the grass down to nothing and then the soil blows away and the manure runs into the rivers and poisons everything so yeah they're doing this amazing regeneration of agriculture so through agriculture so it's back to that thing of we need to give back more than we're taking. So it is possible to produce food at not at the expense of the planet. And I think it's also interesting that one of the things that came out of, one of the learnings that came out of this was the importance of animals in the system, in an ecosystem, in a food production system. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, flack that animals get these days of being part of the problem, which they definitely are when you're farming them conventionally. Um, but that doesn't mean all animals are bad and there are ways of introducing them into a system which is humane, which gives the animals a fantastic life, but also provides for the soil, provides for that ecosystem you're creating and produces food for humans. Um, and, or if you don't, you don't have to eat the animals if they're in the system. If you don't want to eat meat, totally understand that. Um, they can just live in this, in this yeah. system that you've created. So I feel like these, these solutions are there. It's just creating the awareness of them for... Because if a farmer thinks this is the only way you can farm cows is by intensively putting them on the small bit of land and depleting the soil, then it's like, well, what else am I going to do? That's how you farm. Yeah. It's like, show solutions. Yeah. And you don't have to be a farmer either. It's like, um, it's like buy, buy from these people who mm, are regenerating. Yeah. Like, it's tough when you're, when you're a, a producer of food doing it in a way that's regenerative because it's can be more expensive and it's harder than industrialized machine fossil fuel driven farming at the yeah. moment it's more profitable to deplete the soil than it is to regenerate it currently yeah, yeah. i think that'll change in the future <laughs> i hope yeah so support these people if um if you can afford it like it is quite expensive but buy what you can you know buy your organic veggies and other produce um from local farms if you can know where your food's coming from yeah such simple things that we can all be a part of because we all need to eat and it comes so much of the the issues but also the solutions come back to food mm. it's a such an intimate connection with the world yeah and um it has such an effect on the planet of where you're where you're getting it from and one of the sayings that greg from that farm has is that every bite of food that you take is coming from a place that either regenerates the land or depletes it mm. so so, yeah, supporting these people is such a small, is such an accessible solution for people. Yeah. So you've 
you've made the film and I guess it's been shown in quite a few places already. Like yeah. what what are some of the what's some of the feedback and some of the what are some of the, what are the things people are saying to you as a result of seeing it? Yeah, so after working on this film for two years and the last eight months in particular has have been intensively working on this. Yeah. Um, you get to a point where you don't know if it's good anymore. It's like <laughs> you, you show it to a few people for feedback. And they say, they give you some feedback because you asked for it. And it's like, oh, I didn't, didn't want to hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't really want feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to say it was awesome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, we had some incredible feedback and made some changes. And, um, but we still got to a point where it's like, I think it's good, but we, we'll have to see. Yeah. So until the premiere um, a few days ago, only say 10, 15 people had seen it and we premiered it to 350 people. Yeah. And we were so glad that the, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. People said it was inspiring. Mm. They felt a sense of hope, which is like, yes, that's what we're going for. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it makes it all worth it, all the hard work that's gone into it. Um, and we've had two other screenings since that premiere and the same, same response has come out of it. Is that, is that inspiring feeling? And also fantastic discussion afterwards for the ones that we've been at um, doing Q&As afterwards. People are just so keen to ask questions and connect with others in the audience. Like we wanted this film to be a catalyst for people to come together as well. So hosting a screening, screening in your local community, getting the locals to come and connect and yeah. see what you can get going locally like we've had about 70 expressions of interest for hosting screenings already wow yeah and so there's going to be screenings everywhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um it'll be really interesting to see where this film goes after once it's released i think it probably will be it releases saturday 10th of march so not sure when this episode's going out but it probably probably after that yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's out now yeah <laughs> you can watch it it's at livingthechangefilm.com okay cool and um we've made it like 10 bucks we want it to be accessible to as many people as we can yeah and um it'll be interesting to see where things go and if people want to do a local screen they can reach out to you yeah go to your website and yeah then, yeah through the website there's a page about hosting your own screening and you can just flick us an email and we can help you do that yeah so what's i mean uh you've I mean, maybe you're not thinking about this yet. You know, you've spent two years coming up with this and now you're on a bit of a road show. But uh, have you started to cast your mind as to what, what's next for you and what do you want to be working on next? Yeah, yeah. we've already lined up a few filming opportunities have you? Yeah. while we're here in Australia, so yeah. making the most of the trip. Yeah. Um, specifically, I want to delve more into suburban and urban permaculture. What does mm. it look like to live sustainably in a city? Like, I love... Oh, I can't stand cities. Like, I can't be in a city more than a few days. Yeah. Just to find it too intense. But yeah. I feel like there's so much potential there. Like, cities could be awesome. Yeah. Um, and there are parts of cities that are nice, but I think there's a lot of potential there that maybe people think I need land to be able to mm. do all this, where it's like, what does it look like on, you know, a quarter acre or even less? Yeah. So we're going to be exploring that further and exploring the concept of permaculture further and simple living. And yeah. I think permaculture is such a fantastic solution that hasn't got enough attention yet it's like look look at this thing it's like it's, there's a lot of people doing it and it's existing kind of at the edge of yeah society but it's like yeah. i want to help it get into more mainstream thinking yeah and so hopefully the films can can do that because it is such a powerful medium yeah spreading the message and sharing ideas it's awesome the, uh, is David Holmgren one of those people? Or is yeah. He, yeah, cool. Yeah, and he, we'll be filming with David and Sue out of their property, Meliodora. 
because his book, I think, has just come out. Is yeah. that right? Retrofitting the Suburbs? Retro, retro Suburbia. Retro Suburbia, yeah. yeah. Um, we got it in the mail about a week ago and I've, I'm only about 50 pages into it. It's like 500 pages. It's <laughs> yeah. a massive book, but it's amazing. Yeah. So much work would have gone into that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, looking, looking at those solutions that they talk about in that book and speaking to David will be really interesting to get his perspective on, on things. Yeah, I think that's a... I'm excited about that angle too because, like you say, uh, it can be tempting to be despondent living in a city and think, well, do I have to kind of move to the bush and, mm. you know... But there are some things we can do. We can... Like, I can buy from people that are living this kind of way and support yep. them in that way and there's things I can do to my house or the way I move around the city or a little bit of food that I grow in my in my uh, own place that can be my steps or a, a city dweller's steps along this path. Yeah. 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 And I think getting those changes underway now you'll be ahead of the ahead of the curve because when some of the more like when the next financial crisis happens people are predicting the next couple of years like I feel like these mes- messages from the economy and the climate are going to keep happening. And the, the earlier that you do start implementing these solutions, the better off you and your neighbours are going to be because you've got these things in place now. If you plant a fruit tree, um, it needs time to develop. And there's just so much you can do in a small space. Like I'm looking at the space around us now, which is probably only 10 square metres of backyard at this Airbnb. But I'm thinking about like, you know, you could grow so many plants up this wall, have a living wall of the herbs and small plants. You can, trees in pots and, you know, you can insulate your home to use less, need less heating. Um, probably check out Retro Suburbia, that book. With, yeah. For the, for the big manual of how to do all that. Yeah, yeah that's right. It is a manual, essentially. It's, yeah. uh, it's a, such an impressive piece of work and my parents have got it. Oh, it's really? my... Sisters part of the hood in um, in Heidelberg West. I don't know if you've heard about the hood, but they were one of the one of the places where he did quite a bit of, uh, I guess, as a case study, the kind of learning from the way they did things. So they're at the launch and they, mm. they got the book, and we were very excited about it as well. Um, got a couple of questions for you as we wrap up, Jordan. The first one is so something that you're not currently involved with, but you'd like to be disrupted one day or you'd like to be part of it or you wish somebody else would. So, you know, it's about, this podcast is called Subtle Disruptors, so it's about the small changes that are accessible to everybody. But is there something that you think, I don't really have time or time at the moment, I'm going to get to it, or I wish someone would tackle that thing over there? By the way, I love the name Subtle Disruptors. It perfectly encapsulates, like, what we're about as well, is that small change leads to bigger things and is actually makes all the difference yeah and, and i love the idea of like you you kind of you're protesting the way things are through your actions like subtly disrupting things like you just i'm, I'm a, being rebellious against the <laughs> system by like buying certain food or like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah live with the change you want to see i guess yeah um in terms of what i, what I want to see i think for me because i've been kind of mobile the last few years during learning this of of seeing the value in um, being settled in a place and developing a rich community and being connected with a piece of land like every piece of land is different not just geologically and and all that but you you have a connection with with where you are and that's one thing I would like to develop yeah I don't know if it'll be anytime soon because I can't buy property or anything but um, 
I think I, I would like to develop that that sense of of belonging in a place, yeah. which is so important, and which I see in a lot of people that I encounter is that mm. they it's like here's where I belong, mm. and I'm kind of jealous of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel a strong sense of that as well. I get that. Then I'm feeling quite temporary in various aspects of my life at the moment. So yeah, I identify strongly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Being being mobile is good, but also having a grounding yeah. is important too. Knowing where you come from and having a close community because that's what people need. Yeah, we need each other. Yeah, and I think that's my my. Uh, I was thinking about this recently. Kind of my my answer for what's the meaning of life. Just pondering the meaning of life as I do. <laughs> yeah. and my, my latest, um, my, my latest thought of the meaning of life is to be in relationship, not yeah. just with each other, but the natural world. Relationship with where your food comes from, yeah. with how your needs are met. Mm. It's that connection that leads to a satisfying life. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So that's the direction I'm going to develop in the future. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the last question I have for you is about yourself. So it's a personal question about a small change that you've made or a subtle change that you've made that's had I think I guess maybe a small change that resulted in a big one was actually just taking the first step was attending that workshop at the community that I was talking about three years ago like for me I'm quite introverted and the idea of that was quite scary you know just in this temporary community I guess for a week and around all these people but it had an effect that I didn't realize at the time. Mm-hmm. It was so valuable. Um, and you won't ever know that unless you give it a go. So another thing that I've read recently was um, if you follow the direction of what you're nervous or fearful of, that's a good indication that yeah. you need growth in that area. Yeah. So I'm thinking about that at the moment as we do these Q&A speakings at the screenings and I'm speaking in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. But I feel like maybe I need to grow in this area and so all these all these things we're talking about might seem big and and scary in some respects but I think it is quite a brave thing to do is to go against the grain of where society's heading and take a take a leap of faith in what feels right so I think that subtle leap into the unknown yeah. is an important first step yeah and is a probably a constant step that you continue to do as you go through this transition (laughs) yeah Jordan awesome to chat with you thanks Thanks, so much thanks for taking the time and I wish you all the best with the Australian premiere tomorrow night yeah awesome hey thanks for listening if you'd like to get in contact with me the best way to do that is through email to adam at subtledisruptors.com thank you so much to the people that do send me emails I really appreciate the encouragement I really appreciate the guests that you suggest as well. Many of them have turned into actual guests on this show. So if you do have any suggestions, please send them through. Something else you could do if you can find the time is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or through other platforms that you might use. It's pretty easy to do through the app or on your phone or on your laptop or computer. I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your own quest to subtle disruption. And one day, I hope to hear about your subtle disruption as well. Bye for now.